This episode is brought to you by America's Rehab Campus. Get on the road to recovery with the best rehab in beautiful Arizona. Dial 1-833-272-7342. That's 1-833-ARC-REHAB. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to The Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Rcast. My name is Buddha. I am sitting here with my friend. Hi, I'm Michaela. Michaela, good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Awesome, awesome. Today we have two very special guests. We do. The one, I have the clinical director of ARC, a really good friend of mine. She's amazing. Her name is Miss Violet, at least to me. Miss Violet, good morning. How are you? Hi, Buddha. Happy Pride. I'm great. Happy Pride to you as well. And sitting right next to her is my buddy DJ. How you doing, DJ? I'm doing real good today. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I feel good. Happy Pride Day to everybody. It is mm-hmm. June 28th, 2022. So this month we are going to be having an equity and inclusion training that Miss Violet is going to be doing. Mm-hmm. And can you give us a little bit more details on that? Yeah. So um, the part of the training that we're going to talk about today was put together by some of the staff here. They came to me with a proposition that they wanted to have all of the staff better educated about queer stuff. Okay. And so they went away and they did an amazing training and brought it back to me and we workshopped it a little bit. Okay. Um, it's super exciting. Um, it just provides a really great understanding and knowledge for all of our staff about the unique needs of our clients who are LGBTQ. Thank yeah. you guys very much for doing that. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So DJ, man, if, if you could let us in a little bit about your story, I'm very interested. Where to begin, where to begin, right? Well, uh, as of this year, I will be celebrating my 13 years of sobriety. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Uh, thank you. Congratulations. Hey, one day at a time, right? Yes, sir. Uh, stay humble. And so uh, I think a lot of my recovery started, well... The problem started, I would say, probably in school, and that is that inclusion factor and everything else like that. I think uh, a lot of bullying, um, not bonding with fellow peers and stuff like that made me feel quite isolated in my younger years. So then around age 13, 14, I started dabbling around in crystal methamphetamines. It became my best friend. It was something to bond with. It was something that was there for me around the clock. That was a roller coaster from hell that I hope to never get on again, and I won't, God willing. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, during those events, I did run into some legal trouble, which took me, you know, quite some time and quite some years to clean up. But, you know, as of today, that is all put to rest. I've done the best that I can to be a better man each day than I was the day before, a better person. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I succeed at that. Um, but so far, I seem to be succeeding at sobriety. And that's what I love being around here and sharing that with everybody else. It's possible for anybody. I went from being, you know, a five-count felon to a notary public, so it's wow. possible for anybody. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I dealt with a lot of bullying and stuff, too, when I was growing up. I, I was talking to my kids about it, and it's one thing, you know, kind of let them know what's going on. I've always been real overweight. So when I remember being a little kid, you know, there was these kids by this portable, and they saw me, and they were just like, hey, you know, you're fat, pretty much is what they would do. You know, they jumped me. It was a very traumatic experience for any children that are having to go through that type of thing, and it does make you feel isolated because for me personally I was petrified to go back to school I was afraid that they were going to hurt me again I was afraid that they were going to you know do something to me just because of something that I couldn't control at the time of course you know diet I can control it now but as a little kid you don't even realize you know and Mm -hmm. and yeah it was bullying was a horrible thing what age did that start for you uh well unfortunately I've kind of always had this sort of sing-songy voice so it started quite early I would say probably (laughs) kindergarten yeah yeah kindergarten man and and so you you changed everything up like you said you know you got so you start, and, and 
were you always interested in working in this type of field? No, actually, that wasn't a thought on my brain when I was going through, uh, in my mind when I was going through sobriety. Um, but life has a funny way of making you uh, hold your word. Uh, when I was uh, going through all my legal stuff, I made a bit of a pact with the universe that if I didn't have to do hard time, I would devote my life to service work and helping other people better their lives who have been in the same position. And so far, I've been in this industry since, and life seems to be holding it to me, and I can't thank it enough for doing so. That's beautiful. That's awesome. I kind of wanted to come back a little bit to what you were saying about your story, like your bullying story. Yes, ma'am. Um, and what I know from the data, what we know, um, is that people in the LGBT community um, are at much higher risk for um, violence mm-hmm. and for substance use, for lack of equity in healthcare, for lack of equity pretty much across the board um, when it comes to services that they can access. And so I think it's really important to understand when it comes to recovery, one of the most important foundations for really great healthy recovery is a feeling of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So if we if we are working with staff to become better informed about our clients who are a part of the LGBT LGBT community, what we're doing or what we're working to do or striving to do is create more safety for them here. Mm-hmm. And it may be, I mean, from DJ's story, what we heard is that he started to feel unsafe in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, so for many of our clients, it may be the first opportunity that they have to feel safe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree 100%. It's so unfortunate. You know, I have a, I have an uncle of mine who's gay, and he's gone through a lot of different stuff like that that he's dealt with in his life. You know, the same type of stuff, bullying, this and that. And I love him so much. Such a sweet dude. You know, he should have never had to go through that. No no one should ever have to go through that, mm-hmm. you know. And I think as human beings, bottom line is we all need to feel safe. We all need to feel like we mm-hmm. belong. And that's one of the things that I love about this place is that we allow whoever whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever walks of life you come from, you are welcomed here at ARC. And that's a beautiful thing here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, also... When we talk about uh, our clients who use substances, and so many of our clients live outside, um, or they're couch surfing, or um, they're doing whatever they have to do to survive, when you also throw in the intersection of being part of the queer community, what you're doing is taking those risks and just like multiplying them exponentially, Mm -hmm. right? And so once again, like a feeling of safety and being able to have a foundation of safety here is really important for them. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you guys for coming on today to share because I think that there's room for even people that are educated to learn more. I don't think we should ever stop learning and stop welcoming and creating safer environments for everyone. Absolutely. And especially making sure that it's a welcoming place for people that maybe wouldn't feel welcome at first, like in first instinct, to be able to walk in and just be like, wow, I can I can be here and be myself. That's so important. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And what I find wonderful about this campus, it's not feeling of just physical safety because we do have wonderful staff that is rounding, you know, around the clock, uh, keeping everybody safe as a whole, treating everybody equally is fabulous, but emotionally, there's safety here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have really fantastic counselors, case management, behavioral health technicians, the staff across the board. Um, nobody's here to tell your story for you, um, and they're definitely here and to have your back for you uh, if something does go down or you do need somebody to talk to. So I do find this to be out of, you know, several campuses that I've seen or experienced. Uh, to be one of the more nurturing and loving campuses. That's good. That makes me feel so happy to hear that. Nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Pride Day, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, DJ, what what advice would you give someone who's young, you know, maybe lost, doesn't know, like, 
they just they're just lost right now at this moment. Maybe they're going through the same types of things that you experience. So what advice would you give them? If you're young, you're going to be lost for a good portion of your youth until you find, you know, that goal that you're working towards. I think that's probably one of the key or cornerstones of my uh, sobriety is finding that goal that I'm ever working, you know, to achieve and work towards. Yeah. So that would be, you know, one thing to keep in mind for anybody who's going through those tough times of getting bullied, beat up, things like that. That's a momentary small portion of your life. You have a huge, amazing portion of it in front of you. Um, and it's really finding your passion and your drive to what you'd like. Keep that goal in mind, hold it close to your heart and go after it with everything you've got. Um, yeah. I think that would be my best advice for remaining sober or finding sobriety. As well as, you know, I preach this and everybody's going to laugh at this, healthy hobbies. If you do not have a hobby, start yes. entertaining the idea at a young age of things that interest you, whether that be sports horticulture, cooking, anything like that that frees up that uh, is a good thing to do with your free time is always wonderful because, yeah. yeah. Getting rid of that boredom because yeah, boredom could exactly. be the enemy. You know, that's one thing I love of my wife. I know she's listening. I love you very much. She's amazing at that. You know, I, I the way that I grew up, my mom was a single parent. So she was taking care of me and my brothers, and they're all bigger than me. So you can imagine how much food we ate. The woman had to work a lot. You know what I mean? She had to work a lot. So I didn't have a lot of those. You know, I had a lot of boredom, which which brought me to doing a lot of things that I should not have been doing. You know what I mean? So my wife is complete opposite. She keeps my babies in mariachi camp. She's taking them to all these different places, doing all these different things. And I really admire that. And I love that about her because I feel like it's very important to keep kids and their schedules and to keep them busy so that they they may not necessarily fall in love with the same things that you're trying to get them involved with, but at least you're opening up their brain to start, you know, questioning things and, and seeing things for themselves. And who knows, you know, my son, he was wrestling, all those types of things, you know, just mm -hmm. to keep them active, keep them busy. Totally. And I feel like ARC, we kind of present an opportunity for you to like learn healthy hobbies that yeah. we have here and mm -hmm. doing art and gardening and things where you can yep. start to find that, that new thing that interests you or you can be passionate about. I'm a reader. I am full blown nerd. I will stay <laughs> up till 5am to finish a book and then seriously regret it when the alarm goes off at seven but it's like maybe that part you know crosses over into the unhealthy but it's like having that thing that sets you on fire and being able to be presented to it while you're starting your recovery can also really, really be a helpful thing absolutely miss violet i have a question for you okay. i know this is something that you are very passionate about what is your background why are you so passionate about this so I used to work at the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation. I worked uh -huh. there for about two and a half years. I learned so much about queer culture um, and about inclusion and equity. Um, I did a lot of social justice work and really came to an understanding of where my own knowledge was lacking. Uh -huh. um, and so it was really interesting just to to meet so many different people and to learn so much about how people were living so differently than I was used to. Yeah. Right? It mm -hmm. kind of blew my mind. And I thought I was like really liberal and like I knew all this stuff, but there was so much that I didn't know. That's awesome. um, and then during the time that I was working there, my um, youngest child came out as trans uh -huh. to me, which was, it was great timing on their part because um, I was working in this like really great culture. And so... I have like a personal connection to that, but honestly, um, 
as a licensed therapist, also part of our code of ethics is that we always need to be learning and growing and working on our cultural sensitivity. It needs to be daily practice. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being privileged in the position that I have here to be able to influence the culture of the facility, I mean, I take that as a great responsibility and a and huge privilege. I just feel like it's part of my responsibility to ensure that there's more information, there's more education, so that we can really engage all parts of our community in recovery. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. So I have a question for you, DJ. When you mentioned that crystal meth had become your best friend, what was the turning point for you to like kind of break up with that best friend? Like, was there a moment for you where you were just like, I don't... Being arrested. Um, okay. Yeah, my detox was on the floor of a Phoenix jail being poked by guards, being called Sleeping Beauty. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, it wasn't exactly where I saw myself at that point in my life. It wasn't how I was raised or the type of people that I came from. Um, and so right there, as soon as I took a step out of uh, there and got released and bonded out, right there I knew I had to take a change. It was either my life or, you know, well, either continuing, you know, the way I was, losing my life, whether it be to a drug or some incident related to it or actually living And when I saw, you know, the conditions and things like that that people go through and the unfortunate disparities uh, when they don't get the appropriate help, that right there was a wide-eyed opener to see what the system was really actually like to go through it Mm -hmm. and just know that's not for me. That's not who I chose. You know, that's not what I chose for myself. So it was pretty clear at that point what needed to be eliminated from, you know, my life, what was giving me those issues. Yeah. Well, and how, I mean, I look at it now too, knowing you now and meeting you today at like the complete 180 and the, how you're giving back and doing things for others. It's, it's like that moment was like really like that pivotal like switch to lead you to where you are now. It was a switch that uh, switched on empathy. Before that, I was very much uh, kept to myself a very cold, isolated person. I mean, a lot of people when you're doing substances, it makes you very myopic. You don't see the world around you, unfortunately. Um, and I had been living that way for quite some time. And that was the uh, snap that I needed to start feeling again. I really like how you worded that. That was just a it hits home for, you know, some, my cousin dealt with addiction, but to hear it worded that way was. Yeah. And I mean, I really, I really do feel like what you said, it, it, it strikes a chord and it should with everybody. We all mm-hmm. make choices and there becomes a certain time in our lives where I feel like the mistakes that we've made or the things that we've done, they're right in the forefront. Are you going to continue to keep living the same way that you have been and live in this misery and this pain? Or are you going to take responsibility for the mistakes that you've made, the things that you've done, and then really make that switch? It's, it's, I think that's a very, very important thing. And I think we all go through that at mm-hmm. least one point in our life. You know, uh, with me talking about, like, you know, with health, like I'm, I'm not in recovery when it comes to like, drugs, anything like that. But for me, I was telling somebody how we got started with like the workout groups, for, for example. Before we started them, they gave me the opportunity to start doing those workout groups. And before we started, I was pre-diabetic. I was sick. Like, it was getting to the point where just, like, the the worst part of my day was putting on my shoes. I'll just say that. And that's horrible. It shouldn't be that bad, you know, just being overweight. And when Art gave me the opportunity to start doing these workouts, once I made that understanding of, like, looking at my kids and seeing them and being like, you know what, man? Like, if I don't make any type of a drastic change, I'm not going to live to see my grandbabies. I'm not going to live to have a healthy marriage or a healthy life. Like, what am I doing to myself? What am I doing to myself? Because it really, I really had, like, a bad connection with food, you know? Having to change that up, it was like other doors started opening up the moment I was able to shut those other doors. Other doors just opened up and it completely changed. Like, I'm healthier now at 34 than I was when I was in my 20s. 
mm-hmm. you know, but I had, I had to make that decision and there's sacrifices involved. There's things that you have to do to make that switch, but it's so worth it. It's such a, like a worth it thing to do that, you know, mm-hmm. but it's like that enlightenment moment, right? It's like that light bulb moment where you're presented with a choice, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. like you said, DJ, that you had one of those too. It's like, mm-hmm. am I going to continue with this or not? Uh-huh. And I mean, when you're presented with that moment, you have to be willing to step into whatever's next, right? Mm-hmm. The discomfort of the not of the unknown is it's not for everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I think it could be intimidating too, because that's when the real work starts. Mm-hmm. It's, it, recovery in the beginning is one of the most terrifying but liberating experiences you can ever have in your life. It's the biggest gift you can give yourself, but uh, that wrapping paper, uh, it's pretty tedious to get through to you know, wow. start actually getting to that gift. Uh, I, I ripping bet. through all those layers can be a little bit tedious. Yeah. And how, how do you stay on track with that? Like what for you helps you stay on the correct path? Well, number one, uh, my job, I love what I do. Um, I do work within you know the substance abuse rehabilitation community, so that definitely keeps me in touch. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have uh, family members that are also within the recovery community. So it just seems the people who I choose to surround myself with really help me keep my head in the game. I always have a family member or friend that I know that I can talk to within the community, as well as, you know, staying within my, you know, profession at this moment in time, helping people, hearing other people's stories, you know, using, you know, what I've learned to try and, you know, help other people avoid the same mistakes. Uh, that's what keeps me sober every day. That's awesome. So question for maybe one or both of you guys, what would be something that you would encourage to listeners to do daily to be mindful of like how we're choosing to educate ourselves, how we're choosing to grow, to be more knowledgeable of like how to be a better person? Because I like to think that I'm not judgmental, but then I could be totally saying something insensitive and not even know it. And that's where that piece of privilege comes in where you don't even realize you're doing something that could be hurtful or, you know, not mindful. So what would be something that we could encourage people that maybe are sitting kind of more like me thinking that like, oh, you know, we don't fall into that group of people that aren't kind, but we actually are. Well, I don't find it very helpful for myself to replay my day um, and micromanage my own thoughts or have to worry, you know, if I've, you know, offended anybody. I generally just try and live by, you know, that uh, golden rule ideal of, you know, treat others how you'd enjoy or like to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, I also do a brief journaling, nothing too deep. I don't want to go back and have war stories of my day and things like that. But at the end of the day, I take a general look back and uh, tying it back to, like I said before, just trying to be a better human the next day than I was the day before. And some days mm-hmm. I succeed and some days I don't. But there you go. Yeah. Don't put too much stress on you, you know, because I think when we hold ourselves with high expectations, we can disappoint ourselves very easily, too. So I think it's very important, like you said, you know, just you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Just journaling it and keeping it, you know, that's very important. And happiness is contagious, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the better attitude I try and keep and the more love I try and put out, I find the better return I get on that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think the way that I would answer your question um, about learning more and being more culturally sensitive, one of the things that I've learned to do um, is to ask questions and not to make assumptions Mm -hmm. about what I think it means. And so we'll have trans clients come in here um, and we've seen increasing numbers of trans identified clients come in. And I try really hard to ensure that none of us are making assumptions about what trans means to them, about what it means for them to feel safe or comfortable here, about what they need. I don't want to make assumptions about what it means to be a gay man or what it means to be a lesbian or any of those things. I want to ask questions, right? Because experience can be different for 
literally everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when we stereotype people, right, like all gay dudes like this or whatever, what we're doing is really stereotyping and marginalizing a whole community. We need to understand that a community is made up of individuals who are very specific needs and wants. Um, And I think just asking questions like, what does this mean to you? What does being gay mean to you? What does being gay and in recovery mean to you? What do you need to be successful here, you know? Yeah. that's. I think that's what I've learned is to really just listen. And I think that's great because I think I, I'm naturally an overthinker. Like, will yeah. say something or I'll, like, get off the phone with my mom and then I call back two minutes later. I'm like, did I just hurt your feelings? She's like, why? And I was like, <laughs> well, I feel like I kind of had an attitude. <laughs> and so I'm naturally that overthinker. And so, like, when I'm communicating with friends that are a part of this community, I'm like, I go home and I'm like, oh, my gosh, did I say something wrong? And... In reality, I think that they'd look at me and be like, Michaela, like that was not very nice. Like you need to get it together. But then there's that part of it too where I like, I want to make sure that I'm being welcoming and non-judgmental. But then you start to get in your head that it almost makes it that you are. (laughs) Yeah. And I think generally people are pretty good or at least myself. I see if some people who may not be the most educated on a subject, they're trying to approach something with me nicely. I see the fact that they're trying and I give people the benefit of the doubt. intention, right? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's I take into consideration also you know the LBG LB LBGTQ yeah I, I we've dropped added letters throughout the yeah, years, yeah, yeah. times yeah, and yeah, I'm going to be honest since COVID happened it's been a minute since I've been to a pride um, but uh, generally I find as a people we tend to be quite durable and resilient not to say that we're here to be abused or anything like that or have been but I find generally like I said, it's looking for the good intention and things. And um, for the most part, I find living the life that some of us had to live, we don't have such paper thin skins. That's not the same for everybody. But on a whole, I find that uh, the community, when they see somebody's trying, sees that somebody's trying. Absolutely. And, and I mean, it's it really is. I mean, in the bottom line, we're all human beings. It's like asking questions. There's no reason why I should be afraid to talk to you or we should be afraid to talk to each other. We just have to understand that we're all human beings. We've all been through some crazy shit. We've all experienced trauma in different ways, you know, and I really do feel like love conquers all things, man. You just gotta, you gotta love one another because there's not enough love in this world. This world is getting uglier every single day and we just have to love one another more, Mm -hmm. really. You know what I mean? And smile at each other more. Absolutely. More rainbows. More rainbows. That's what's up. I had a rainbow necklace and I forgot to wear it. Oh, man, see? You messed up. You gotta go all the way back to phoenix now oh gosh no thank you sorry (laughs) it's here in spirit (laughs) absolutely and we've changed policies for uh, trans clients when they come here you know uh, their pronouns are respected right off the bat it doesn't matter how they present they may present as male um, in a masculine way but if they identify as female they room with the females they program with the females we don't need to know anything about your genitals like whatever you tell me you identify as that is what we honor here it wasn't the case when I first started here and it's been a kind of a hard road to get to that I think some of that was just training and like policy but we've definitely made a change in that and I think we've seen a marked increase in the amount of LGBT clients that we've been serving here it's just really respecting respecting that and having uh-huh. a zero tolerance policy for homophobia on campus for any type of bullying when it comes to that you know safety is our number one emotional physical safety for our clients is our number one concern when it comes to our lgbt clients that's awesome mm-hmm. and i uh, thank you so much because you you really do do a lot here you do a lot mm-hmm. for that whenever we've had training you're right there like in the forefront if someone talks out of line she's like 
Mm. Nope. <laughs> Not right now. We're talking. You could do that later, you know? Hey, and sometimes you got to get shit done. That's uh-huh. just how it, that's that's just my how it job, is. man. Like, my job every day is to wake up and see what more I can do for clients today. That's right? awesome. And so, yes, I am sometimes direct, and that's definitely been said. But my number one driving goal every day is how can I make our clients' lives better today? That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. It's thank my you. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Miss Violet, for yeah, showing yeah. up. PJ, yeah. thank you thank so you much guys. for coming and sharing your testimony. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go have some rainbow cupcakes now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Do your thing. Do yeah. your thing, man. This has been an awesome episode. Happy Pride Day and happy Pride Month to everyone out there. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Rcast. We thank you for tuning in. Michaela, thank you for joining us as well. As always, much love, you guys. God bless and be safe. Thank you. What's going on, everybody? This is Buddha from the RCast, and I just wanted to thank you for checking out this week's episode. It means a lot, and if you could share it with a friend or a loved one, somebody you need in recovery, or maybe somebody who just needs that little bit of extra positivity in their life, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you would like to join us here on the RCast, either in the studio live or online, hit us up. The links are down in the show notes of this episode, and on there, you can find direct links to our main website here at America's Rehab Campus and all of our social media platforms. Follow us. We keep the posts positive and motivational, focused on recovery, health, and wellness. As you know, in this modern day and age, we need as much love as possible, y'all. And as always, if you or somebody you know is in need of substance abuse treatment, please don't hesitate to give us a call. We're open 24 hours a day, and our direct phone number is 1-833-272-7342. Once again, that phone number is 1-833-272-7342. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. Much love, and God bless. Peace.